everyone, and welcome to the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm your host, Mark Cusinez, and I've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. And by stuff, I mean video games. And by video games, I mean Curved Space, Beast of Maravilla Island, Mythic Ocean, Lost at Sea, The Sisters, Party of the Year, Paint the Town Red, Nightbook, Mousebot, Fallen Knight, and last but not least, Sam and Max, this time it's virtual. I'm going to get right to it with no BSing, except for me talking about BSing, which is mild BSing, but I'm not going to extend this BSing too long. It's just going to end right here with the end of the BSing. But Curve Space, it is a twin-stick arcade shooter in the same vein as stuff like Geometry Wars and more so than that, Super Stardust, because it takes place in a 3D space as opposed to a flat surface like Geometry Wars and the typical twin-stick shooter. The problem is, one, I don't like the visuals. I think the style, the aesthetic is ugly. It's a metallic look, and it just feels a bit stale and isn't that pretty or nice to look at. There's not a lot going on. It doesn't have a stylistic take on that either, so it isn't going to draw in your attention visually and then from a gameplay standpoint, the guns aren't satisfying. The enemies you're taking down are boring, both to look at and just as enemies that have their various attacks and whatnot. There are these spidery mechanical creatures, and they're just dull. That's the problem with the game, is that it's very, very dull. And when there are so many twin-six shooters to play whether they are of the more arcadey style or stuff that has a bit more structure, like a lot of what 10 Tons Limited puts out with Tesla versus Lovecraft, Crimson Land, Judgment, etc. It's, it's hard to recommend this. And you can even go back and play Super Stardust if you have a PlayStation specifically. Of course, you can't play that on other platforms. But I'm pretty sure there was another twin-sticky thing in a 3D space recently that felt better than this, but it just, it's not going to make any kind of impact. It's a game that you play and immediately forget. And I cannot recommend it, even if you are a fan of twin sticky arcade shooters and the like, which is a bummer, but it is what it is. Then Beast of Maravilla Island is a very calm, soothing, charming, adventure game where you play as this wildlife photographer and you're sent to this island, Maryville Island, to photograph the wildlife and the plant life and explore the space, learn more about it. You have your little journal with information that you have from your grandfather who I'm not sure if he also did this job or just was into wildlife and all that and learning about it. So you're just going around taking pictures of all these creatures and these plants. And you can use your camera not just to take pictures, but to also open up new pathways. Because with the flash, you're able to photosynthesize certain plants. And they will create giant beanstalk type things that you can climb up and reach new areas. They will open a flower to create a bridge across a gap and stuff like that. It's pretty simple, but 
it's just a nice, pleasant game to be in. And I, I like the look of it. It has a somewhat cell shady stylized thing going on. It's very heavy on block shadows, which I'm a big fan of. I love block shadows. So it's nice to look at. And it's just a really chill game. You're not going to be chased by anything or pressured to go at a certain pace. You can just move at your own pace. You can get through the game pretty quickly. You can just rush through everything and just take a picture of everything in a certain area right away and then find whatever plant and whatnot you need to photosynthesize to open up the next area and just move at a rapid pace. Or you can take things slowly. You can do selfies as well. You can really try and find the perfect angle for your shots because you have your little photo book as well for all these creatures. And you can pick the one that you want. And for certain creatures, you'll have multiple variations where it's, okay, here is this certain monkey when they're wagging their tail, when they're doing this action. And you can take multiple pictures of them doing these different actions and then pick the one that you like the most to highlight in your photo book. But it's a nice, pleasant little game. And it's the first that's come out of many. I'm sure there have been one since, but I feel like it's the first that I can think of since that indie showcase at E3 where there were so many games taking on the, the Pokemon Snap mantle of being about photographing this or that and this is a good one i I'd recommend checking it out if that kind of game appeals to you then mythic ocean is a first person adventure game where you are underwater dealing with all these gods and it's very very talky and my problem with it is that exploring the underwater space isn't as interesting as I wanted it to be. It feels way more guided and purposeful than I was expecting. It is very, very talky. That is probably the main aspect of the game is talking with these various creatures and having your conversations with occasional dialogue choices. But what I really wanted to get out of it was something... I guess along the lines of Abzu or whatever. But the problem I had is that you have this sonar ability that will show you where certain key things are. And that's fine. That's great. I like having something that allows me or that tells me where I need to go to complete the next task, etc. But when I went off and just explored and didn't use that because I just wanted to be in this world. Because it's a very, very pretty game. It's a bit sluggish. And that, I guess you can associate with it being underwater. But even in the very beginning, I was more concerned then because it was sluggish on land when you're walking in this library-type area. And then also they had these shadows and reflections that would pop in depending on the angle you were looking at, which was really worrisome. There were some texture flickering and stuff, but that was all isolated to that opening area at least from what i played post that which was a good thing because that was a, a really bad initial impression but while i love the look of it it has somewhat of a painterly vibe to it 
when I went off and just explored on my own and didn't utilize and use the sonar thing as a crutch to find where I needed to go and whatnot, I ended up going off this path to an area with some architecture and stuff, but there was nothing there. There was no sea life, no plant life, nothing at all. And I hit a dead end and I just, I, I had to turn around and go back the, the direction I came. Maybe that area will be inhabited, will be full of life or things to do at a later point. But the fact that I was able to go to this space right off the bat and have nothing there to do, it made the, it made the whole experience lesser because that feeling or desire for exploration I had was gone. I no longer felt like I should or was able to really just explore freely, but instead had to utilize that sonar ability and just go where the game is telling me to go, where the game is showing me there are points of interest. I can't just explore the world and organically find these things and utilize the sonar if I'm stuck or want to progress this like the fact that there were these dead areas really killed my interest in that world and then the story itself is it's okay but it wasn't engaging enough to make up for the fact that exploring the world wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be then lost at sea is another first person adventure game where you are lost at sea, but you end up on an island, another island, all these islands. And the first thing I'll say is that I I hate the way the game looks. It is oversaturated and more so than that, overexposed. It is very, very bright. And a lot of the colors, while oversaturated, are a bit washed out because of that overexposure. And it's it's kind of painful to look at. It hurt my eyes a bit just staring at these really bright colors that were all up in my face. And so that alone made me not want to play it. I kept at it just to see what the game was about. And while it may change later down the line, what it was at least right up front was going to these various areas on this island that have objects and whatnot from your life because this is a game about life and death and all that and you are going through these various spaces collecting these mirages that are fragments of your memory and then when you collect a certain amount or so your compass will no longer be spinning like crazy and you'll be guided somewhat to what i believe then are called fragments that you collect to regain a memory to its completion and you're just doing this with the voiceover at the same time i i couldn't care less about your story in this game the little nuggets of information you get when you find a mirage and the more thorough explanations or descriptions you get when collecting the fragments and whatnot that complete a certain memory and everything 
I just, I didn't care. And then when you compound that with the fact that I found the game so unpleasant to look at, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. It, it was a, a bummer, especially from a visual standpoint, to find it that unpleasant to look at and have no settings that I could adjust in any way. And also going back to Mythic Ocean real fast, Mythic Ocean has one of the weirdest settings I've ever seen for a game. It has an input lag setting where you can ramp it up so that you feel a lot of input lag. And I think their description of that setting is the higher you raise this or whatever increases the input lag, which makes things feel smoother. I think they associated input lag with smoothness when it's the opposite. Right? It was a very weird one to even have that setting. And it's default is a little bit on. So they want you to have a little bit of input lag. And I don't know why that is. If anyone can explain to me why you would want added input lag, let me know. Because I turned it down and it felt much better. I, it didn't feel terrible at the default level, but I did ramp it all the way up to see what that was like. And I'm like, why would anyone in their mind, the right mind, do it? I, I, I don't understand it. It is the... Maybe it's the weirdest setting I've ever seen in a game because I just don't know why you would ever want to add artificial input lag to a game. I'm trying to think of what game you would maybe want that in, and I can't think. It just It's really weird. But moving on, back to more games. Sisters, the Sisters, Party of the Year, is a party game where you're playing a bunch of mini-games. So Mario Party and all that kind of jazz. And... It is definitely more geared towards girls, I'd say. It's got a lot of bright colors, and it's about these sisters as well. There are boy characters as well. Uh, I mean, they could be non-binary for all I know. You don't know. But it, it, it's definitely centered around these two sisters, and you can play the mini-games on their own or in a whatever type of championship thing or whatever but there is a campaign mode where you and your sister are fighting in these various mini games to figure out who is going to set up the party in the backyard or some crap like that and you're initially locked to your house but after you do a few mini games like pushing crap out of your space so you all have giant brooms and you're trying to push toys and garbage and whatever into the other people's space or mowing the lawn and stuff like that. Uh, once you've done a few of those, it opens up to this whole open world that's full of collectibles and you can skate around on a scooter or a skateboard to navigate the areas faster. And it's... It's okay. The minigames aren't that great. The ones that I've played aren't really that fun. They're not terrible, but there wasn't a single minigame that I played. And I was like, yeah, I, I really like this. I want to play this again. Every minigame I played after I finished it, I was good. I never had to revisit that minigame. But it is cute and colorful. Kids may really like it, especially young girls having this game where 
It's about sisters and all that. Because that is the focus of the, the story stuff. And I can see people liking that and being able to explore the world, collecting all this stuff, and just skating around, having a good time. Yeah, it's it's okay, but not really my cup of tea. But again, maybe for young folk, they'd be way more into it. And Paint the Town Red is the absolute opposite of the Sisters Party of the Year in that this is a game no kid should play. No little kid should be anywhere near Paint the Town Red. Even though it has a very cartoony, stylized aesthetic, a Minecrafty, blockheady, voxely aesthetic, it is one of the most violent games I've played in a long, long time. And I don't think the art style does much to change that. I would, I would say, the thing is, if I had a kid and they said, I want to play Paint the Town Red, I'd say, would Grand Theft Auto V be good enough for you? Because I think while Grand Theft Auto is realistic in its art and all that, the graphic nature of the violence in Paint the Town Red is a lot. And if you're wondering how graphic it is, you... So, before I get to that, the structure of the game is... There, there were three modes. So there's a basic scenario mode where you're just thrown into an environment, whether it be a bar, a disco, a prison, a saloon, and I think a few others. And then you are tasked with killing everyone in the environment. You can add some modifiers to it. You can turn on a super hot modifier, which will give it that style so everything's or the, the environment and all the objects are in white, and then the character models are all red. Or you can play it from a top-down perspective because it is in first person traditionally, but you can add a modifier to play it in top-down. You can add guns uh, with a modifier, make yourself extra strong, etc. And in the scenario mode, you're just tasked with killing everyone in an environment. That's what you need to do. That's what you have to do. In addition to that, I'm going to get to the violence very soon. There's an arena mode, which is basically a gladiator-esque arena, and you take on waves of enemies. And that's all there is to it. And then there is the more meaty mode, which is a roguelite called Beneath. And this is the mode I I wanted to like more because it was it was more than just doing violence for violence sakes. I mean, you're still just doing violence for violence sakes, but there was still more to it, like unlocks and leveling up systems that are constant, that are permanent, which is why it's a roguelite and not a roguelike. But the structure of it was mildly confusing, and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing exactly when I would get to an area, and they felt a bit more dragged out because you just go to a level and then you're taking out all the enemies. And I took out a bunch and I would keep finding new areas. And I'm like, can I, where the hell's the exit? I, I wanted to get the hell out of there and transition faster than I was. But 
going back to the Serena mode, the Serena mode, <laughs> the Serena Williams mode, the scenario mode, which is the one I played the most of, and I tried just a bunch of different areas and in different modifiers. The the graphic nature of the violence, it, it's not that it turned me off. It's just that I was I was taken aback by how graphic it was, and I think the fact that it is this cartoony aesthetic, it made me. It made me pause because I looked at it and, and said to myself, if kids say screenshots of this, they're probably going to maybe be interested. But there's no way in hell I would let them play it because you can pick up almost any object in an environment and use it as a weapon. A chair, a bottle, a pool cue, various knives that'll be in the space, plates, hands, anything and everything that's not bolted down, basically, outside of tables. You can't pick up a table because I guess they're just too heavy. And when you are attacking these other characters, they are destructible like they can fall apart in many various ways. You can you can slash someone or bash them in the head to the point where lots of blood will spurt out, but you'll also see their skull. And you can cut them into pieces, dismember them, and punch them so hard in the stomach or the chest that you see the bone and parts of their blood and, and muscle, not, not their muscle, but like you see the blood surrounding the hole you've created that then is revealing the bone. And it's just really graphic. It's very, very graphic. And it was just, it was weird seeing this graphic violence on this super cartoony aesthetic. And I'm sure there have been other games that have done this, but this is the first that I've played that is graphic to this degree. And while the gameplay is fun, I guess, like it's fun going off and doing all this crazy stuff and attacking enemies and, and watching crazy stuff happen and, and seeing the physics play out as well. I just, I don't see much reason to keep playing after the hour or two I put into it. And it's a $20 game, which just seems a bit high. And I guess the real, the real question as to whether or not it would be worth $20 is if you really got into the beneath mode, the roguelite mode. But that didn't grab me right off the bat. So... While that could change, if I put some more time into that mode, the scenario mode and the arena mode, they're neat, they're a novelty. It's a game that I could see myself maybe popping in every now and again to play for five minutes or something. But if I didn't get a code for this, there's there's no way I would have any interest, any interest in picking it up for that price. I, I'd be much more keen on a $10 price tag. But again, the beast, not beast, but the beneath mode seems to be decently substantial if it if it grabs you. And you also have a few abilities you build up as you're taking out enemies, like a shockwave that'll knock enemies aside, or a, I think it might be called beast mode or something, but a powered up thing where you are enraged and super strong for a short period of time where you can 
punch people in the head and make them explode. So just think of it as a Fist of the North Star mode or Fist of the North Star ability. But yeah, it's just the initial shock of the graphic nature of the violence was a surprise. Then Nightbook is one of them FMV, full motion video, slightly interactive stories. And I think the, it takes like an hour to play through it. There are multiple endings and all that and reasons to play through it again. But you play as a woman who is working or, or trying to work as an online interpreter. She's starting out. She's getting guidance from this other lady who's her supervisor, I guess. I think her name is Cody. And there's this mythical thing going on with this island or whatever and this language and i just found the story i i have not played many of these games i played another one recently that was way more interesting even though i didn't end up liking that either but i thought the acting was better in that one this if this is indicative this game specifically is indicative of the quality of their games in terms of acting writing especially the writing and story i don't I don't get why they're so popular because I found the story to be whatever it could be interesting, I guess, but the writing was terrible and I just did not give a shit about any of these characters. I thought some of the acting was atrocious. Some was okay. At the very peak of quality, the acting was okay, but at the very worst, some of it was just fucking God awful. And while I was playing it, I almost fell asleep twice. My eyelids were very heavy through a lot of it, but they full-on shut twice while playing. And I was like, oh shit, oh shit, gotta wake up, gotta wake up. It is that dull and that boring and that unengaging. I just, I, I wanted to care, but I couldn't be bothered to. I, I gave it, I gave it my best go. And it just... It did nothing for me. And I didn't play it well into the evening or well into the morning or anything where my eyelids would be more prone to being a little heavy. So, yeah. Did not like Nightbook. But I would be very curious to know from those who are really into these games. Because it's, it's from Wales Interactive, I believe, who is the predominant, if not the only publisher, developer, whatever, of these games. I believe, I, I can't say that they've done them all because I'm thinking of ones like The Bunker and the one that has the dude with a nice head of hair. <laughs> That's a game. Um, but yeah, didn't do much for me. And the, the interactions you have are, <sighs> I don't know. I didn't feel like every choice that I was making really was all that special and in some cases it just felt like the the story clearly had to go in this direction or that direction and no matter what i picked it didn't ultimately matter and in some cases because of that and the writing and things that happen because they needed to happen in order for the story to progress like specifically this conversation i was interpreting between a son and his mother what was happening in that conversation 
and the way that the the boy was behaving specifically and what he was doing i was like what what is this why are these characters doing this this is so stupid this is clearly just happening to progress the story and i don't like it so nightbook was a bit of a bummer for me as well then mousebot is a very basic endless runner type of thing i guess it's it's a five dollar game super simple but there's a decent amount of content there if you really got into it it's perfect for kids because of how simplistic it is it also has a very cell shady ish art style that is very inviting and cute and i i found it nice to look at even though it's just it's, this is a really basic ass game where you have 10 areas of 10 levels a piece and when you beat all those you unlock an endless mode i believe and you're just controlling this mouse except one it goes on its own and the only real interactions or inputs you have are to move it left or right, to jump up, and then to jump to the left or right with the bumpers. That's it. The first area, all you're doing is moving left or right. So you can play that with just one hand, with one finger. And then in the later levels, when you get the abilities to jump and stuff, you, you need two hands. But you could probably make it work with one hand, but you just need two hands two fingers no big deal but all you're doing is going through these areas and then collecting the the heart like you you have three tasks i believe to get all the points of a level collect all the pieces of cheese collect the heart and then finish under the part time and you can focus on one of these tasks uh, during one run, so you don't have to do them all during the same run, of course, because I think in some or all cases that would be impossible, specifically getting that part time while also collecting all the things. But you are gaining currency as well to unlock cosmetics for your little mouse, and those are cute as well. It's just, it's a really simple game. You control the mouse. It's going through these spaces, it moves on its own, and then you just have to focus on moving left or right and jumping when need be, and that's it. Very simple, very straightforward, but a pleasant little time waster. And if you enjoy it and just want something that's really basic, there's a decent amount of content in there. I, I think you'll definitely get your money's worth from it. Then Fallen Knight is a Mega Man-esque game. I guess it's more Mega Man Zero ZX. I don't know. The one with the dude who had a sword. I didn't play those games. But I think Zero is the one where you're a Mega Man person with a sword and a cape. And in this one, you also have a sword. You don't have a gun or anything. No blaster. But it's structured in that way where you can go on and go to these various levels that end in a boss fight and there's a fair amount going on with leveling up and upgrades and stuff like that and i think i could really like this game there's a big 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 problem though it is one of the most unresponsive games i've played in a long time and unlike 
Mythic Ocean, there is no setting to adjust the input lag. They haven't ramped it up in the settings because they thought people would like a game that isn't super responsive, but you can turn it down or whatever. Nope, it's just incredibly unresponsive to the point of feeling broken. Like, there's just, what, why is it, there's something seriously off with this. And after I played an hour of it, and wasn't having fun with the gameplay at all because of the unresponsive nature. And it does do the whole thing where you start off, you have your abilities, and then you lose them, and then you have to regain them, and blah, 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 which is mildly annoying. I, I, I'm not, I'm so over that at this point. I'd rather not have any abilities and gain them over time than get a taste of them and lose them all. Because then, especially the, you're going through this first level and taking on the boss and all that. I think you you get or have those abilities at a, for a long enough period where I was more annoyed by losing them and not being able to play that way because I was already used to having them. So when I didn't, I was more annoyed. But it's just so unresponsive and it doesn't feel good. And then I looked up and others have had the same complaint as I. So I'm not some weird anomaly who thinks this way. There's something off about this game. And I hope they can fix it. I hope they do fix it. Because I would love to go back to this game and be able to report back and say, now it feels great and it's a fucking cool-ass game. Because I think there might be a cool-ass game there. But the fact that it just feels terrible to play because of that, that input, like that unresponsiveness, it just, I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what any of the other aspects of the game are because it just feels horrible to play. And last but not least is Salmon Max. This time it's virtual and it's a Salmon Max game in virtual reality. I'm not sure all the platforms it's on, but I got a code for the Quest 2, which is where I've been playing it. And it looks really good given that it's a cartoony style. They're able to make it look really nice. And, you know, I think realistic games struggle on the quest but when you go for a more stylized look things can really look nice and it does look really nice the only issue visually is that there is geometry pop in i didn't notice any texture pop in but maybe objects that are 20 feet out they'll pop in like you don't see an object completely until you're within a 20 foot or so range, which is a little bit distracting, but not terrible. It's, it's more so distracting in certain areas where you are moving a lot and there's a lot of repeating stuff and you just see it constantly where it, it's, it's much more apparent. But you are joining Sam and Max. You know, you're becoming their new employee. You go through a few tests initially and then you are taken to this amusement park, this abandoned amusement park to go about doing these various tasks that involve stuff like, it's, it's all a bunch of mini games basically that are broken up into sections where you complete three and then you have like a, a bossy type of thing and then you transition to another three mini games and so on. Uh, there are nine little sections in the amusement park I believe. And they can consist of anything from having this mechanical head, this robotic head or whatever, that you're 
progressively removing parts of it that you can interact with. And then it's kind of like a Simon Says thing where you are told that, okay, when its eyes are green, that means it wants you to actually perform this action. If they're yellow, don't perform it. And it'll tell you stuff like, squeeze me, poke me in the eye, bop me on the nose, twist this thing, etc. And you're just playing this elaborate, goofy version of bop it or whatever that stupid game is. And it's fine. And there are stuff that are, are similar to more carnival-esque rides, like shooting galleries and a basketball hoop where instead of shooting basketballs, you're shooting big old, big old, big old balls of bombs. Bombs, round bombs. I don't know where I was going with that. And a, a escape room type of thing. The gameplay and all that is fine. It doesn't do anything particularly interesting with the VR aspect of it all, but it is nice being in the world and being with Sam and Max. It's, it's a game that you're playing for the humor. You're playing for the story, for the jokes, for the humor, for the charm of Sam and Max. If you're a Sam and Max fan, it's definitely worth checking out. But if you're looking for something that is utilizing VR in interesting ways, this is not the game for you. It's super basic, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's it's done well, and technically it's impressive. Uh, at least I just think that the world and the characters and all that look really good. I, I, I do like being in that world and seeing Sam and Max in 3D, in virtual reality. It's cool. And I like Sam and Max. They're, they're a fun duo to be with. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun little game, but it really is about the humor and the charm and all that, and not so much the gameplay. But uh, yeah, that will do it for this here episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. I think that went rather well. There were a few hiccups here and there, but overall, I think... I think it was a good one. I think this was a decent episode. I think it was relatively informative and opinionated and a good time. Anywho, that will do it for this episode of the Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Marcus Nez. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. The site is, of course, pixelatedsausage.com, where you can find this podcast and Attack the Backlog, both of which are available on podcast services across the globe. You can also check out me streaming every weekday from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central on the Twitches over at twitch.tv slash pxsausage. On Mondays and Fridays, I play whatever, though it seems like I'm probably going to be leaning towards Apex Legends a bunch because I'm, I'm back in. I'm back in, baby. I'm, I'm all about that Apex. But those are free play days. Mondays, I'm just calling on a Mondays, on a May Mondays. I don't know. I, I said... They're on a Mondays, and I'll talk about anime, maybe, whatever. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know what to call Mondays, because I like alliteration, and I'm trying to think of something. I was going to call them Manic Mondays, but that sounds not right. That doesn't sound like it would be accurate. And Fridays are just free play Fridays. Nice and simple, and descriptive, and you get it. 
But then Tuesdays through Thursdays are when I play games for Attack the Backlog. I'm currently playing through Cat Quest 2, which is super fucking disappointing. I don't know. I don't know if it's that different from the first one or it's just that I'm not in the right mood. Or ah. it, it, It's been a bummer and I'm not excited or looking forward to playing more, but I'll be playing more of it tonight uh, if you're listening to this right away. But uh, yeah, if you'd like to watch me stream and hang out and whatever, you can check me out over at twitch.tv slash pxsausage. Again, that's twitch.tv slash pxsausage. Follow me if you haven't already. Lurk. Be in the chat. Doesn't matter. Any presence is a valuable presence. And then if you'd like to watch the more refined and high-quality stuff, in video form, you can go over to youtube.com slash sausage and watch my videos over there. It's, it's basically just Attack the Backlog right now, but I am gearing up when I am not overwhelmed with other things. Gearing up towards bringing back anime content and reviews and previews and just opinion videos, whatever. And part of what makes it a lot more enticing is the fact that you no longer see the number of dislikes. So that was, even though I'll still see them, the fact that other people won't makes it a little bit more. I don't know. I feel like there's potential less room for toxicity, but probably not. Probably just wishful thinking on my part. But you can check out videos over there. Mainly, though, Attack the Backlog currently. And the latest episode of that was Doki Doki Literature Club, which is really just kind of thrown together thing because I wanted people to know that I think that game's amazing without telling people anything about it. So it was not the most exciting episode, and especially the video for that. I mean, I was very limited to what I could show, and I kind of edited it in a slight way to mislead people, which anyone who's played the game may see why it's somewhat misleading. But uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But uh, if you'd like to check out the art I make, you can go back to the site, pixelatedsausage.com, and if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. And... Uh, an absolutely lovely week and week and anywho that is it that is all thank you again bye bye or in anime words bye